The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association. Welcome to Season 5 of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season, I'll be chatting with a great lineup of leaders in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. Today on Retail Therapy, we have the pleasure of welcoming Ian Bailey, the Managing Director of Kmart Group, to the Amex Lounge. Kmart Group is a true powerhouse within the Australian retail industry, with its two iconic brands, Kmart and Target, which are beloved by millions of shoppers. The Kmart Group operates 452 stores across Australia and New Zealand, plus an impressive online offering, and employs nearly 50,000 team members. Join us as we chat with Ian about his experience in the retail industry, his leadership insights and vision for the future of retail. Ian, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you, Paul. Lovely to be here. Now, you've been at Kmart for over 15 years. I did not know that. (laughs) And uh, you've seen the business change a lot during that time. Can you tell us a little bit bit about that journey? Yeah, no, for sure. Well, actually, the uh, yes, I joined in 2006. So um, I can't even do the maths for how many years that is, but that's why I think we say more than 15. <laughs> but uh, I think before that, I'd only ever worked somewhere for five years. That had been the longest. So the last thing I expected when I joined Kmart was to, uh, you know, to still be here in 2023. I don't think I would have guessed that at the time. But so it's been, no, it's been, it's been a hell of a journey. So what did you start? What was your first role with Kmart? Uh, I came across as the uh, as the CFO. So we were the business at the time was struggling. We were we were in third place with our, against our competitive set at the time, which was which was Target and Big W. And uh, yeah, we were pretty much seen as the business that was going to disappear. So a couple of tough years when I first joined, where we were struggling to struggling to keep any money at all out of the four billion of revenue that we created. When you say you came across as a CFO, you were you've obviously were in other businesses previous to that. So from the UK in or in Australia? No, no, Australia. So I uh, my first my first job in retail was Officeworks. I joined Officeworks in 2002. Prior to that, I had this really eclectic career. I did engineering at university, I then did accounting, I did anything from financial controller jobs to sales jobs to consulting jobs in technology companies, healthcare companies, and other service industries. So yeah, I had this really odd mix. And then I found my home. I found retail. And I, yeah, I found I found where I like being. Yeah, so you're a one-stop shop. That's what we <laughs> will call you doing all those different types of jobs. So so your entry into to Kmart was as a CFO, and then you transitioned from the CFO role to the CEO role. How long ago was that? Oh, actually, I did that about 2000, 2010. Okay, so you, you fantastic. When you look back at your career, did you aspire to lead a company at this level? How yeah. did you prepare for leadership, really, of one of the biggest organisations in the country? Yeah, it's you know it's hard to remember back, isn't it? Sometimes, but I, I'd say I always aspired to more. So the, the the good thing about that is there's lots of drive. The bad thing about that it comes with quite a lot of discontentment, right? And, and always uh, wanting to do the next thing, which is probably why I changed jobs so many times earlier. Early in my career, I was constantly looking to to do the next thing on the on the on the journey. I did figure out at some point I wanted to become an MD. I can't quite recall when that was. And I think it was because it was simple to articulate in my mind. 
you know, if you're looking for something bigger and better, of course, if you're working in the corporate world, it's sort of the top job. So it becomes easy as well. That's the focus. Well, what do, what do I need to do to get to, to get to that position? Mm. I think if I look at how did that play out for me, I think I was always comfortable with change. I still am. Um, and probably some of the people that work with me get a bit irritated by that. But anyway, sorry, sorry, everyone. <laughs> mm. and, and I'm quite comfortable putting myself into roles, certainly earlier in my career, which I wasn't the expert at. So I think that then gives you the opportunity to learn a lot. And I felt like I learned a lot over the early part of my career. And actually, as I've been in the MD role now since 2000 and uh, I think 2016, um, yeah, I'm still learning an incredible amount. There's so much to learn in these businesses that uh, it never stops. Do you think that's the difference? So, and you sort of touched on it where, where people sometimes aspire to do more but are, are uncomfortable being in a – in a situation where they don't know all the answers. Is that the difference, do you think, around actually being putting yourself in those positions where you um, have to be comfortable in your discomfort, so to speak? Yeah, I do. I do. It's Yeah, I think it comes down to how you look at the world and what's yeah, what, and what level of risk you're comfortable with. And I, I, never found, I never found putting myself in a difficult role stressful, if that, if that makes sense. It just, it just was – I mm. enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the challenge of trying to figure it out and make it work. Uh, and then, and then I, I always had this idea of I put this language to it a bit later in my career with this idea of psychological safety, and and I think if you've yes. got that, if you've got freedom in your mind that you know what I'm going to give it my best shot, but if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of it's not the end of the world. That doesn't mean to say you take a fatalistic approach. It doesn't mean to say you don't care, but equally you don't over-index. You don't get fixated. You know, I think if you fixate on outcomes versus fixating on doing the best job you can, you can sometimes. You can sometimes get a little conservative, and uh, and you can sometimes mm. struggle to make the right call. So I, I always like strive stri- for this position of, yeah, of clarity that you know I can I can be at my best because I don't feel I'm I'm boxed in or locked into a certain outcome that I have to deliver. Do you think, Ian, that as you progress through the management hierarchy, that you know it prepared you for a CEO's role, or do you think uh, in a in a managing director role, heading up a company, there's very little that can prepare you for that? It is. I worked directly, I think, for six six or seven CEOs before I became a CEO or an MD. And uh, and I was generally in the, the, the I was either COO or, or, or CFO in that period. So I was always in a position of influence, I guess, with the, with the top job. And so, and, mm. and I was very actively getting myself ready, trying to fill in all the gaps. Uh, but I still found it a big jump. You know, the, there's just no backstop when you, even even in the CFO role, you've still got the backstop of the of the CEO. And then, of course, all of a sudden you find you get into the job and anything the company doesn't really know how to do lands at your desk. And somehow yes. you've got to figure out what to do with it. So, no, it is quite it is quite daunting when you first get, get into the role. And, you know, I think like I like many, I just pedaled very hard, for, particularly for the first couple of years. And then then you start to get a little bit more accustomed to it as time passes. You build the right team and the right people mm. around you to to support you and who are good at things that perhaps I'm not so good at. And uh, and then yeah, you find out you find a way. As a leader, what values do you prioritise and strive to instill in your team members? Yeah, I think the first one is, is I know it's always a cliche, but you, you've got to really understand what customers want. And a business like retail, I mean, as as I know you know. You know, it's all about customers choosing to visit us versus someone else. And we're selling the same things fundamentally, like we're selling T-shirts, we're selling toasters, you know, we're selling toys. And there's lots of places you can buy those things. So customers need to choose us. So so really, really, really putting yourself in the mind of the customer and really delivering what they're after is really helpful. And sometimes that's not as simple as it sounds because you, you can get caught up in some things that go on in the retail world, which... 
everybody does, but is it really is it really yes. important to the customer? So I think having that ability to challenge, you know, the status quo with a with a view of I'm trying to figure this out for the customer, I think is really helpful. If I was to put another couple of things together, I'd say things like drive, curiosity, and persistence, like really important. Um, I like this idea of of getting good at answering the same question to a higher and higher standard. So if I use the example of Kmart, lowest price is is the anchor of our business. It's our strategic advantage. We've been working on that question since 2008. But arguably, we've been working on that question for like 50 years, if you really go to what's the purpose of the organization. But we've made it we've made it a mission since 2008 to get better and better and better at delivering um, on that promise. And so having people that can have that mindset that they're happy to keep going again and again and again on the same topic versus saying, OK, now we've got lowest price, let's go do something else. And then they start losing their focus, lose the clarity, and actually lose the lose the end purpose. So I've sort of bundled a few of those things together: drive, curiosity, and persistence. I'd say uh, the last one I put in there is humanity. You know, we, we, it gets called different things. It will get called integrity. It will get called teamwork. You know, but we're a people business. We've got, as you said, fifty thousand people, and we if we if we work well as a team, we deliver good outcomes. And so, therefore, we need people that can treat people like people and and, and get the most out of uh, themselves and everybody around them. Mm. I mean, you raise some really good points there. Maybe when you reflect on your career, can you share some examples of the most important lessons you've learned through, throughout your career and how have they shaped your approach to leadership? Yeah, I've got to, yeah the first one I'd probably go to is people have lives. <laughs> I know. I don't, well, I can tell you, it surprised me, um, which <laughs> probably says empathy wasn't big on my list when I started. But uh, <laughs> well, I remember so I started in an account, I mean, I went to uni, I didn't work in an accounting firm, all, all people, you know, same age, worked in consulting soon after that. Yes. And so you're constantly working with people who serve clients. And if the client needs something, you work, you work the hours that's required. And then, of course, I, yes. I found myself in a in a retail business. There was something going on with the finance team. I think it was five o'clock on a Thursday night, and I said, "Team, we're just going to have to stay here till late till we get this done." And they just looked at me and said, "No, we're not." I've got to pick my kids up. They're clearly not working for Kmart anymore. <laughs> is that correct? I'm no, just I kidding. Just, you, can, you, know, you can imagine me looking like rather confused, scratching scratching my head as everybody walked <laughs> out, and I and I was trying to figure out what the hell just happened. But, but of course, people have lives. And uh, so, so I think yes. actually building in leadership, leadership models where you can, you can deliver good outcomes with everybody through all of that throughout their life stages is really helpful. And, yes. and one of the things I love about retail, retail is such an everyday business. You know, most of us are everyday people that are just trying to do the best we can. And, and we're trying to live yes. our lives. And that's the same for our team. So, yeah, so my first learning was people have lives. And I probably got a better leader. Once I figured that out, so sorry for those people early on in my journey. Uh, I think it's uh, what else would I? What else would other lessons I'd say? It's a game of hit rate. That's another one. You know, we make a lot of choices. Anybody who buys product, anybody who serves hundreds of customers a day, you know, it's a question of hit rate. You've got to get enough good enough good customer transactions or visits. You've got to get enough good products. Yes, it's a hit rate game, and so so therefore, don't get too hung up on when you make an error. Just um, yeah, just just move on, learn, and uh, and it's a hit yeah. rate game. Uh, last the, the last one, the last one I had on this in my mind here is it's up to, it's up to you. And 
I see this one. Uh, I see this one a lot actually. When you when you look at people going through their career, quite often they're looking for someone to tell them what's next, and they're looking where's where, where's my next area of development? Where's my where's my next opportunity? And I, I think the thing I figured out quite early was it's up to me. But the, but the person who can give me the best feedback is me because I I'm, I'm I, it sounds a really coy. I'm sorry about this, but but I'm I, but I'm with yeah. me the entire time. Nobody else is. And so when somebody else is giving me feedback, they're giving me a perspective when they see me in certain circumstances. They're not seeing the entire thing. And so I, so I think if you can start to build self-awareness and if you can start to read with as much clarity as you can, which is not straightforward, you know, where you're at and how you're going and what you need to get better at, uh, you, then all of a sudden you're empowered. It's up to you. And once you feel like it's up to you, you can make a lot of choices and you can be very proactive. And it's, I think it's, it's very freeing. Uh, for yeah, to become the best version of you that you can be. No, oh, really, really, really good point. Now, you oversee more than 50,000 staff. It, it's a huge job. How do you balance this team responsibility with your own lifestyle and also with other needs of the business, such as innovation or expansion? So you've got all these competing demands on you. How do you go about managing all that? Yeah, it's, um, again, I'd probably go back to what I just said. Some of it is by getting it wrong and figuring mm. out that didn't work. Let's do that again. Uh, I, I think the first one is know what's my job. And you know, the, clearly, I cannot do everything within a business like a business like Kmart no. and Target. It's impossible, yes. and so therefore, I need to know what my job is, and I need to play in position. If I use a sporting analogy, no, no, no point me being in the wrong part of the field or, or trying to do trying to do all the roles and getting in the way of the people who we've hired who are really good at their jobs, uh, who are accountable for what they need to get done. So, I think the first one is know what my job is and what it isn't. Have great teams. Anybody, anybody who leads people who doesn't have have great teams on the list is uh yeah he's probably missing a trick there it's just so critical i've worked with awesome people over the years and and i've had wonderful people i've worked with and and they've made my life so much easier because they're super capable people and they can take on a lot of accountability mm. so therefore i try and push as much accountability to them as they can one of the one of my yes. my um my internal philosophies if you like is if i if i ever get asked to make a decision because a decision has to be made in the moment that tells me something hasn't hasn't gone right there's an issue because yeah. it means somebody isn't feeling empowered to make that call and they're coming to me, yeah, because they don't know what to do. And, yeah. and really point. in most cases, I'm not the closest to any given topic. I wouldn't be the closest to what we're buying in women's wear this year. The women's wear button mm. would be closer than that. I'm not, I'm not the closest yes. to what we're doing in Chadston. <laughs> Our Chadston store manager's closer than that. So you, you keep applying yeah. that principle. Yeah. Therefore, my job is to make sure they've, they've, they've got their tools and they're empowered to make the to make the calls and then of course not every that that gives me capacity the last one i'd add to that then is ruthless with time uh, every year I try, I try and call my diary and say okay this is what i'm no longer doing because yeah. things creep constantly creep in there's always new things it's mm. one of those things it's like a one-way valve <laughs> new mm. things can get in but they don't go and then unless you put a process in they don't get out again so so every year no. i sit down with uh, with with manissa who who looks after me and uh, we go through and we try and figure out how do we uh, how do we get more time. I try and set up my diary with thirty percent capacity. Mm. Now it never materializes because new things always come along. But unless I create that thirty percent, then I'm going to start at a hundred, and then I'm just going to eat into any any life that I try and have outside of work will completely evaporate. Yes. So so that's how I try and balance it by trying to set my base workload at seventy percent, so that when new things come in, it, I can I can I can manage them within capacity. 
And and setting boundaries, I guess, Ian, too, to make sure there's no creep from other things that should be handled by others, I guess. Yeah, and that, that sort of for me is the accountability. So just push, you know, so mm. in, a, in, a, in a constructive way, in an empowering way, just say that's your call. Yeah. And uh, and okay. let people, and, and, and I tell you, people love it. I mean, who wants to, who wants to feel like they've got to check in with the boss all the time and they want to make a decision, particularly yeah. when they know what the answer is. No, great. I mean, you want people to make decisions, but you also want them to own the outcome, don't you, whether it goes well or if it goes badly. And that's the whole accountability piece. And it's how we learn too, yeah. I mean, we unless you, yeah, unless you make decisions and you get a few wrong, you, you know, <laughs> you don't grow. So, <laughs> so therefore, therefore, no, therefore it's, that's it's, true. I think it's an essential part of leadership. Now, Ian, you, you sort of touched on this, but one of the, the amazing things about Kmart in recent years has been its ability to reinvent itself. And you were there also during the bad times. Can you share about Kmart's recent journey and where you're taking it next? Yeah, I, I think this this idea of innovation is something we push quite a lot within the within the team. And as as couple of, there's a couple of mindsets that I try and get the team to connect with. This the first one is there's always a risk when you're good. And we are relatively good. I'm trying to hope that doesn't sound arrogant, but we were a relatively good retailer. And the risk, therefore, mm. is you protect. You go into a protective mindset of I want to retain what I've got versus I want to continue to seek more. And so one of the things we came up to counter that was this this idea that actually this is a very competitive world. And if next year, or if all we did was the same as this year, we're probably going to go backwards by 5%. Right. Now, if we want to grow by 10%, which is generally, generally a business would, of our size would like to do at least that, then you've got to be 15% better next year than this year. In three years' time, we've got to be 50% better than we are today. As soon as you look mm. at it through that lens, status quo and a bit of marginal <laughs> marginal improvement isn't isn't going to cut it. Uh, and so, mm. therefore, we're, we're very open to looking at where those big moves are that give us the opportunity to, right. to, uh, to continue to grow. If you, if you look at the Kmart business in particular, you know, we've we've done really well at lowest price, and if you follow our journey, that was where we began. We were we were about white plates yes. and white t-shirts. We then added no compromise to lowest price, so then we added the design element. We've upped our we've upped our mm. quality consistency a great deal over that period, and the whole idea that customers shouldn't feel the compromise from lowest price. Lowest price should feel great. It should feel smart. It, it shouldn't feel like it's uh, you know I had to do that because I couldn't quite get the more expensive one. Um, what are we doing next? Well, we 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 now got scale as a business. We're a lot bigger than anybody else in our in our sector. That gives us capacity to do things others can't. So we can invest in technology and data, and it's still a relatively modest cost as a proportion of our revenue, but it's still a lot more dollars than most can afford to invest. So we've been putting a lot of money into technology and data in the last in the last five six years, and that's now starting to roll out in a whole number of ways. It's helping us with our products. So we've got a lot of analytics tools now, which help with. So we've got ranging tools, we've got planning tools, and we've got uh, you know things like pricing optimization, markdown optimization, and these are all active algorithms which keep on learning and keep on improving, uh, and it which helps our business. And we're seeing some really good results through that. We've got things like three D design, which is now rolling out across apparel, where we design in in conjunction with our suppliers in Asia, and we we wow. literally do create a, a an avatar of the of a person with the with the with the product and we're seeing wow. we're seeing it saves us a heap of time in product development we can do away with many of the product of the development samples and we're getting a higher hit rate on sales when the product lands so it's super so, so a great outcome Amazing. for customers great outcome for team members and yeah and good economically for us so we like that so there's better products in-store experience i think there's still so much opportunity 
you know, I, I do think things like self-checkouts are like 1980s technology, which still seem to be in retail stores, but we haven't quite figured out the next thing. And uh, yeah. I mean, if you think about the the airlines, the airlines very quickly moved from, you know, you get went to a counter and you got your ticket and you got surprised at what seat you're in through to now you can do it all on your phone. And they went through the kiosk thing very yes. quickly. Uh, whereas in retail, we haven't we haven't figured that out. And so, oh. so I think this in-store experience, I think there's something we're looking at. How do we how do we continue to enhance and improve it? Customers love shopping in Australia. It's it is entertainment as well as a necessity. Mm. And if we can create mm. a really wonderful store to be in, then people will just spend that little bit longer with us, and uh, and hopefully they'll enjoy the time with us even more. And I could probably go on to a couple of other things we're looking at. We're looking at things like uh, a better digital experience, as you'd expect from technology, um, more yes. productive. So we we do need to continually find ways that we can operate with efficiency, so that we can pass those savings on to customers. And then the last one is we're trying to take our products now to new markets. So we've uh, we've now opened up in Canada with with Hudson Bay and one of their brand sellers. So we're uh, we're wholesaling product to uh, to that uh, to that business to get uh, our Enco brand into into new markets. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. You realise now why your calendar is so full. Clearly, technology has been huge in the industry, but you've been at the forefront. Uh, of much of this technology. Now, I've read something about robots counting inventory yeah. in your stores and other similar innovations. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, Tory. <laughs> Sorry, the robot. Um, yeah, we, we, we did, an, we did a, an experiment actually just before COVID where we partnered with one of, the, one of the former Amazon executives in Seattle and we opened up a number of stores and it was the intent was to really, really create a digital store. And, and everything yeah. digital. So the, the way the store operated, so automated processes, which really helped the team members operate the store to a very high standard. Now, we ended up closing that just as COVID hit because we worked out it was going to be way too difficult to run that through that period. But one of the innovations we had was Tory the Robot. So what we now, this is now rolled out to all of our Australian stores. We will get to New Zealand in the not too distant future. And uh, we have we have RFID on all of our apparel and the robot goes around and it scans every 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 evening. And it, and it gives us item by location. So we'll, we'll know if we've got, you know, the size 10 red T-shirt in the changing rooms. Can you work out then what's been thieved? What is it for reordering purpose or, or mainly for um, data integrity yeah, purposes? Yeah, I can see that your mind's starting to go to, my goodness, the use cases for this are enormous, of which they are. <laughs> it is. Well, they, they don't ch- I'm sure they don't back chat you, do they? <laughs> That's at one the of the moment, positives. At the moment, you know, the most basic thing we're doing is we're taking the sizes out the back to the front that we uh, that we need to. If you, and if you think right. about a store like Kmart, we have a lot of clothes in there. And and the process yes. we had historically was the team members would eyeball the racks and figure out what they needed to uh, needed to bring out. Bring That's out. really difficult. Uh, as, mm. And you know, as you know, there's a lot of clothes that look sort of similar. You know, if you've got three different black t-shirts yes. with different necklines, and they're all on racks, it's not always easy to see which one's which, and to work out what size. And I'm, actually, I need a size. I need two size tens. I need three size twelves of the other one, and so on. It sounds basic, but it's actually quite hard. And but but now now where we have is we have a process which the the robot scans overnight, and in the morning it says to the team members, "Can you go and pick these ones and put them on those racks?" Wow, amazing! I'm going to have to meet Tori at some <laughs> point. You'll have to promise me for a store store visit. Um, is it a he or uh, a she? Well, as ever in these modern times. <laughs> gender neutral that was a right response and i was checking you out on that so look there's clearly you love the industry what's your favorite thing about the retail industry yeah, I, 
You know, I, I worked in I worked in some uh, industries prior to this. I worked. I mean, I worked in the technology space, and I, and I remember going. You know, you'd, you'd meet people socially, and they'd ask you what you do, and then you like you you either try explaining it for fifteen minutes, and they'd still look at you with glazed eyes, or you'd just like come up with some super superficial answer. Where as soon as you say, oh, you know, I work I work for Kmart, you don't need to explain it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> everyone knows. I think from a work from a work perspective, I, I like the fact it's a combination of strategy and execution. Some some jobs are all about execution. Some jobs are all about strategy, and the mix of the two, I think, is is uh, yeah, is, is is a lot of fun. I love it. What's the best piece of advice you've received? Something that has stayed with you? Yeah, I had the. I went to. Uh, I, I've been fortunate to get some. You know, to get some education along the way. Um, so you know, I've been to. A, it's been to a few. You know, uh, uh, management courses, and one of the courses I was on, we we had this peer feedback where your your, your classmates gave you feedback and. And one of the one of the guys in my class was from Thailand, and he was a banker. But he's actually, he, I think he was, he, you know, he was a banker who wanted to be a Buddhist monk. Not 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 a, not unusual combination. But he was one of the. No, he was a very not. serene character, actually. He was incredibly well balanced. And then, uh, so we had these half an hour sessions where you had to give you give you feedback. His his session was about six words to me, which he said, "Ian, you're too hard on yourself." And they left. <laughs> mm. like well, what does that mean <laughs> so, but anyway I, I think uh, what, I, what i did figure out over time was uh you know i i do have a lot of drive which is as a lot of people do if mm. you're doing these jobs you've got to have drive and and any and the motivation to say can be discontentment you know because therefore if you're not satisfied with what you've got now you've got to like work harder if you think the business can be better you've got to go again and 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 of course like like anything you can go too hard you know, if you, if you think about an engine, if all you do is have your foot on the throttle the whole time, you know, you're going to wear that engine out pretty quickly. You're just going to rev, you rev it crazy. Yes. You've got to give yourself, you've got to give yourself breaks. You can't go too hard on yourself. And I found that for me personally, it was super helpful. So the, that balance we spoke about a bit, a bit earlier. Now, now, Ian, I've got the final question for you. I know you've talked a lot about all the great work that's been happening and and particularly lots of insights to your leadership style and, and great tips for people listening today. When you think about Kmart, uh, what exciting plans does the Kmart group have in store for the years ahead? How do you envision the company evolving and growing in the future? Yeah, I, I genuinely feel our journey's just begun. I know we're a, you know a fifty something year old business and and we've had a good run in the last decade, but I feel like we've got these foundations which open up so many opportunities for us. The, I mean, some of the technology pieces which we've just been discussing uh, mm. are examples of where we've now just putting in the foundations and the 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 use cases that are available to us now. Now that we have those foundations are enormous. We we're now starting to be able to join up these technology components if you like that we've had across the business mm. so we can tie up the the ranging and development tools with the rfid tools in store and then that enable us to do a whole bunch of new presentation new customer wayfinding all sorts of new things that we can do so i'd say the first thing is i'd say our, our journey's just begun what's on our mind as we think through that i'd say first one is customers as ever how can we be more relevant again mm. um, how can we yes and that's and that's from how do we come it easy to shop if you think about some of the best digital businesses, they nail this, the, the removal of friction, which you hear over and over again. I think we've got to become equally good at that. But maintain that emotional connection with customers that great retailers have and great brands have. And and you know, and as you know, if you if you can get that emotional connection with a customer, they're gonna choose you. 
And so, uh, mm-hmm. so I think using using this technology to better serve our customers and to continue to reinvent the customer experience in store and online, I think is a is a is a is a big piece. I think for our team members, a lot of these solutions can be really helpful. Our teams love Tory because the technology is not about we can get a robot to do things that people people no longer need to do. It actually helps them do their job more effectively. And it's and it's easier and it's better and they give and they get a better customer experience. So they so I think continuing to look for ways that we can make it better for our team, and ultimately we where we can be the place that people really want to be from work. Now I think over time what would be my overall ambition that people see us more than a discount department store. And I already think we're so much more. We're a product company as much as we are a retail business. Mm. I think we're increasingly becoming a tech company the amount of technology and technology capability in we've already been a always been a huge people business so i think my mission is for the for the for the market and for potential team members to see us as an awesome place that you know career opportunities are, are fantastic on that note ian bailey thank you for joining us for some retail therapy today uh, here in the amex lounge congratulations on all your success at kmart and the kmart group and all the best for the future thanks paul nice to be here Thanks for joining me today for Retail Therapy in the Amex Lounge. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that follow button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You won't want to miss an episode. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of new episodes, over 50 now, on our website. We've covered small business, sustainability, tech and innovation, and we even release a yearly Christmas miniseries. For more information on what we do at the ARA, head to retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All of the links can be found in the show notes. I'd now like to welcome Kelly Taggart, CEO of Roses Only, to the Amex Lounge. Roses Only is a leading Australian-owned retailer for delivered premium flowers and gifts. Its passionate florists, friendly floral consultants and dependable delivery drivers have brought joy to millions of people all over Australia. Formed in 1995, it brings together 45 years of floristry experience and established 10 florist studios in major cities nationwide, as well as some partner florists. Kelly, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. Since its inception in 1995, Roses Only would have witnessed a lot of change and development in the floristry business. What are some of the ways you've innovated and evolved the business? Yes, we've uh, certainly seen a lot of changes since 1995. Uh, Back then, I think uh, you would have been going into a physical florist shop to buy your flowers. And these days, you have a lot of options where you can buy online, whether it's uh, through your mobile phone, either calling someone and talking to a real person or buying online through your phone or your laptop. So it really um, provides a lot of advantages there in ways that you can order in all manner of types. We've even had someone that has called in while they were riding a horse uh, and ordered flowers on their way to whatever it was that they were doing, riding a horse, would you believe it? So I guess um, back then also, first when we were online, payment options, uh, there wasn't many available. So I think we only had one payment option available. And then it's been with the likes of relationships like American Express that we've been able to really diversify those payment options for customers. And even now, uh, recently, we've been able to roll out uh, pay with points for American Express. So you can pay with your credit card points to buy your flowers, which we think is really cool. So I guess 
the evolution of social media has also impacted our industry quite a bit. The way that we market to customers online, uh, the rise of Google AdWords um, is a major part of the floral industry, knowing where you want to deliver something and being able to search for flower delivery to Sydney or flower delivery to Brisbane. That's generally been on the rise since um, online has increased. Uh, And also being understanding of how we can impact uh, the environment um, with more sustainable floristry as well. And I guess over the last 15 years, we've really focused on being a data-driven company and using that data to make sure that we're not creating the waste in the first place. So making sure that we're buying what we need for when we need it, for when our customers want it, which I'm sure you can imagine is a really difficult task. Uh, We have about a hundred different types of flowers and greenery that we manage throughout the year. Um, So you can imagine the complexity that goes with that. And we've been able to get our wastage down to around two to 3% overall, which I think is pretty fantastic. Apart from that though, we're always looking at ways that people are doing things internationally and talking to our local flower farms to see what other sort of uh, business practices we can adopt as well. From before the days of the pandemic until now, what kind of patterns have you noticed in customer behaviour and how has this impacted the way you future-proof your business? I think not much has changed in the way that people still want things really fast and really reliably. But we were already investing in our digital infrastructure for our um, for all of our warehouses around the country. And then when the pandemic hit, we saw a volume really increase. So people were, they couldn't visit their loved ones. They really wanted to send a message of love to people. And we saw that really expand. And that was a really beautiful thing to be a part of. So this meant that the advancement that we've had in our technical and digital capabilities through reliable and scalable digital practices meant that we could really provide great customer service to people uh, and reliable delivery. So I guess with more customers looking at buying online, that's meant that we've had a much more expanded customer base to talk to. And uh, thankfully, uh, they've had a really good experience with us and they've been able to experience our brand and how wonderful it is to send flowers to someone and hear the smile on someone's face when they call you or send you a message. And that's definitely driven driven a lot of uh, customer growth and repeat customers post-pandemic. So, it's been really great for us. 